Bibles open to Acts chapter 1, we continue our message series entitled One Mission, where we have spent several weeks now and we'll be spending a few more weeks uh, this year headed toward and talking about uh, this year of evangelism and talking about the mission that God has called us to. And we'll be in Acts chapter 1 uh, today. We have been looking uh, in the book of Psalms where we started and we saw that uh, the mission of evangelism is really a threefold message. And, and this message is seen over and over and over throughout Scripture that we are to go, we are to sow, and we are to reap. As we go, we go with a burden. The first element of evangelism is not going and sharing. The, the first aspect where we start in sharing our faith is, is on our knees in prayer asking the Lord to give us a burden for the lost people, for us to see lost people the way he sees lost people. That's where it begins. And so we go with a burden, then we sow the seed, and then we reap the harvest. Last week, we we looked at the Great Commission, and we saw that uh, Jesus has given us all authority. And we said last week, if you weren't here, let me remind you, or if you were here, let me remind you, if you weren't here, let me catch you up to speed. Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth, and I, I want you to go into all the world and to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to those who need to hear it. And Matthew chapter 28 is what we call the Great Commission, but the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world, uh, baptizing and teaching, this is found not only in Matthew 28, but all four gospels and the book of Acts before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gives us this command to go out and to share, to go out and to see the lost saved and the saved discipled. And I shared with you last week that that all of us have the ability to do things. I have the ability, as I said last week, I have the ability to take a handgun into the airport and try to get through security with a handgun. I have the ability to do that, but I don't have the authority to get on the other side of security. I have the ability, but just because you have the ability to do something doesn't mean that you necessarily have the authority to do it. But what we also said was that when we have the authority to do something, then you will have the ability. Just because you have the ability doesn't mean you have the authority, but when you have the authority, you will always have the ability. And Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. Now go and make disciples of all nations. That's the authority. The authority is given to him. He has all the power. He has uh, the authority. He's given it to us, and now we have the ability. What that means is that not one follower of Jesus, not one person who claims to be a Christian is able to say, well, I'm not able to go and to share my faith. That's not true, because the reality is he's given all of us the authority and the ability to do it. Today, I want to speak to you from Acts chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at the power in the message. What is it that makes the gospel message so powerful? What is it that we share? We're going to look at Acts chapter 1 today. Please stand in the honor of reading God's word. Acts chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse number 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, that I have dealt with, and of course, this is speaking of the gospel of Luke. Luke wrote not only the gospel of Luke, but also the book of Acts, writing it to this man named Theophilus. He said, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands, this is the commission, through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing uh, before them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they still didn't understand what was going on. 
Verse seven, he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men, two angels stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him go. Father, we thank you for this word. Now, God, I ask that you'll speak to us from it. Prepare our hearts to receive this message today, I pray in Christ's name, amen. Please be seated. Three things that we're going to see today that provides the power where the power comes from in the message that we share. First of all, there must be the obedience to the word of God. Where is it that we receive our power? We receive our power from the word of God. It's not your own word uh, where we share. We don't share the gospel of Wesley Baldwin, no. We share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it comes through obedience to the word of God that I find my power for the message that I share. The power, what is the power? The power is to see people who are dead in their trespasses and sins come alive in Jesus Christ, to be saved. It's, it's a powerful thing. It's the power of the resurrection. When a person prays and receives Jesus Christ in their life. It's the power of the resurrection. The same power that spoke into Jesus when he was dead and his body was in that tomb, spoke into his life and rose him from the dead. It's the same power that causes people who are lost and dead in their trespasses and sins to come alive in Jesus Christ. It's a power, a powerful message. And so where do we receive this power? Well, first of all, obedience to the word of God. As we saw last week, Jesus gave a very clear word concerning about what we are to do. We saw that we are to go into all the world and and to preach, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to observe all that he has commanded us. We are to bring disciples. We are to make disciples, as we saw last week. Make disciples, mark disciples, mature disciples. We are to make disciples. We're to go and see lost people saved. We are to mark disciples through baptism. What we just saw this, this, this hour and in the first hour, we baptize individuals. That's marking them. Baptism does not make you a disciple. It marks you as a disciple. This wedding ring does not make me married. It marks me as married. It tells the whole world of a reality that has already taken place in my life. That's baptism. Baptism does not make you saved. It marks you as saved. It tells the whole world of a reality that has already taken place in your life. We are to make disciples through the gospel of Jesus, calling people to repentance of sin. We are to mark them through believer's baptism. And then we are to mature them, to disciple them, to, to, to give them meat, the meat of God's word. And they grow in their faith, in their walk with Christ. Now, our power and our strength in witnessing is not in our own cleverness. It's not in our own ingenuity. It's certainly not from anything that I am able to do. No, our power comes from his word. This book called the Bible is is the literal word of God. And within this word is the command of Christ. The command comes with a promise He has all authority, and he's going to be with us wherever we go. And we share this message. And as we share this message, he's with us. The command has a promise. And we must be obedient to this word, this power of the word of God, being obedient to it. Jesus said to them and to us, he said, I will empower you. 
I will equip you to be able to do what I've called you to do. I'm not going to leave you high and dry. I'm not going to call you to do something and not give you the authority to do it. No, I'm going to call you to do it, and then I'm going to give you the strength, the power, the authority to do it. I'll give you the resources, he says. As you face insurmountable odds, even impossible odds, he said, I will be with you. And as he spoke to these disciples and told them to go out into all the world, understand, they didn't have a 747 they could just jump on and, and, and travel around. They didn't have Trump's plane that they could just jump on and go wherever they wanted to, right? They, 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 they walked wherever they went. They, they, they didn't have the beauty of cell phones or, or FaceTime or, or, or Snapchat. Or they, they, they weren't able to, to, to use and garner social media to, to communicate with the world of reality that has taken place in their life. So these are insurmountable odds. They, they were called to go out into a world that, that they had no clue what they were going to be doing. But they were called, and we find that they were obedient to his word. Unfortunately, today in today's church, the great commission, the great commission has become the great omission in many churches and many Christians' lives. We, we don't follow the commission. We don't follow his command. We've omitted it from our life. And because of many, 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 many years of the church being inept and the church not fulfilling her mission, the church has, has become complacent. We're not following the mission before us. We, we see a culture that has been changed. We see a culture that has been hijacked, not with the gospel of Christ, but we see a culture that is anti-God, anti-Christ, even anti-Scripture. Today, we face a culture that is increasingly indifferent, even antagonistic to the message of the gospel of Christ. We no longer live in a Judeo-Christian country. If you think we do, you need to wake up and look around. This country is no longer following Judeo-Christian beliefs. We don't have Judeo-Christian ethics or principles. We have, we have everything that, that seems right, we're told is wrong. Things that we know in our heart are wrong, we are told are right. Up is down, left is right. Uh, everything is, 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 it's all messed up. Have you noticed that in our country? It's all messed up, and, and we could go through the whole litany of things that, that's happening in our country, but, but to, what, to what point? We, we understand that this country is sick. Our country is sick, and if you, you look at Babylon, you look at our country, and, and you listen, they are crying out for help. They're crying out for help. But when you come and bring them help, they don't want to hear it, do they? They don't want truth anymore. People no longer seem concerned about truth. All they want to discuss is tolerance. Now, tolerance is different from freedom. You understand that, right? Tolerance is different from freedom. I'm looking in the face of men and women who, who you gave your, your lives for a certain number of years to fight for freedom, not only for our country, but, but freedoms around the world. You gave your life to the armed forces and you, you fought and, 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 and to protect the freedom here and to protect the freedom everywhere in this world. We, we have loved ones that are serving now in the military. We have loved ones that, that died serving in, in the military. And we, we, we understand that what they were fighting for, they, didn't, they weren't fighting for tolerance, they were fighting for freedom. And freedom in this country says that if you want to be a Muslim, you can be a Muslim. If you want to be an atheist, you can be an atheist. If you want to be a Christian, you can be a Christian. However, our freedom extends only as so far as the base uh, allows us to stand upon. And if we allow the foundation of our country to crumble, we, we, everything else is going to crumble. And friend, the foundation is beginning to crumble. 
we were being told that, that tolerance is freedom and freedom is tolerance and, and what you say is good for you and it's truth for you and what I say is good for me and it's truth for me. But how dare you come and tell me that there's a better way? Don't you come and tell me that, that there's a better way for me to be living or, or tell me what it is that I need to do. If you wanna always be popular and accepted and included today, I would advise you never to go to this Babylonian culture and say that Jesus is the one and only way to heaven. You'll be labeled as intolerant. You'll be labeled as a bigot. You'll be labeled as closed-minded, a radical. And now we have a culture because, listen, church, this didn't just happen apart from the church. It's happened in, in some ways on our own watch. While the church was doing their own thing, not fulfilling the Great Commission, going out and sharing the faith, the culture was changing, and the church decided, well, we're just going to seclude ourselves away from the culture. We'll let them do their thing. We'll do our thing, and we won't go out into the world and make disciples. And now we've got what we wanted, and we don't want what we got. Now, there's, there's two situations, two scenarios here. We can continue to stick our head in the sand like an ostrich and pretend like this isn't happening, or we can do something about it. You know, we live in a culture today that has no absolute values. They have no absolute moral truth. They don't believe in truth with a capital T. They teach our kids today that, that there's no absolute moral standard of right or wrong. It's what you feel. Whatever you feel is right, go with it. Whatever your heart says, go with it. The problem with that says that it's within the heart that all deceit lies. Your heart's not going to always lead you to truth. And they teach the kids in schools today that we have this values-free education system that says something like this. You can't even, you can't even trust your teachers for what is right or wrong. Your parents can't tell you what is right or wrong. Especially your church can't tell you what is right or wrong. You have to decide for yourself what is right or what is wrong. Now, we all know that in some ways that statement is true. That we all have a personal choice where we have to come to the realization of what is right and what is wrong. We all have to come to the realization that, that there is truth and there are lies. We, we all understand that, that, that there is that, that, that aspect of that question, that, that we all have to decide what is right or wrong. But the problem, the inference in our own culture today is that there is no absolute standard. There's no benchmark to measure things off of. And when you remove the benchmark, when you move, remove the foundation, then you have no absolute right or wrong. There's nothing to tell us that marriage is between one man and one woman. There's nothing to tell us that, that what, what is happening in the world that is evil is wrong because we remove scripture from the foundation of our country. When you remove absolute truth from the foundation, then all hell breaks loose. Now the question is, how do we react to this in our culture? Let me begin by saying that how we cannot react. The church can no longer bow down in the face of political correctness the way we have for the past several decades. That's not going to work. Instead, what I would suggest that we do is to fulfill one of our seven passion points as a church, and that is that we are to, to share the truth in love. We must be obedient to the word of God and stand on its truths. In essence, we have, as Christians in 2016, we, we have come to a crossroads. You can pretend like it doesn't exist, but it's true that it exists. 
we have come to the crossroads of sorts, and, and we have to ask ourselves this question, do I or do I not believe that this book is true? That's the question that you must answer. If you're going to continue to live in this culture and to live in, in church and, and be a Christian, you're going to have to come to this crossroads at some point in your walk. I hope that you've already dealt with this, but if you haven't, I hope that you deal with it today. Do you or don't you believe that this is the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God? What does that mean? Inerrant means it's without error. Infallible means it's without fault. Inspired means it's God-breathed. Do you believe that this is God's word? If we really believe in what this book says, if we really believe that this is God's word, then we have to follow what it says. It's not just so much in believing that it's God's word, but now we must put it into action. We must, must follow its teachings because if you truly believe that, that this book is God's word, that means that God is speaking to each one of us from this word and we must do what he's telling us to do. Verse two tells us that through the Holy Spirit, he gave them commandments, he gave them orders, he, he commissioned them, he taught them for 40 days. He, he actually taught them for three years, the, the three years of his ministry, he taught them. He poured his life into them. He poured truth into these men. And, and this truth was about to be set aflame, to set a fire uh, by the power of God. And they were convinced that the message of Jesus was true. They were, if they were here today, they would say, uh, they would say, Pastor, I, I believe without question that this is the inspired and errant infallible word. We believe that this message is true. Okay, now listen. You and I can no longer enter into the culture today. We cannot enter into the Babylonian culture in which we find ourselves today with a question mark on our message. Did you hear that? It's either a statement or it's nothing at all. You can no longer approach this culture and say, well, I think that some of this is true and, and some of this is false. I, 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 I have a question mark on my message. You can no longer engage a culture with a question mark on your message. It's not going to work. We must decide do we or don't we believe that this is God's word, that this is his message to us for such a time as this? You see, so many Christians, they don't understand biblical truth. We have baby Christians in baby churches. They're preaching an inept message, and so they're producing inept Christians to, to battle a world that has their act together. It concerns me greatly. It concerns me greatly as I look at the landscape of our country and I see some of these churches uh, that are popping up and, and what people are, are flocking to. Just because they call themselves a church does not make them a church. And what is happening in our culture today, uh, the, 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 a lot of these churches, they major on feel-good, cheerleading, pep rally style of church where they, they may get a whole lot of people. The, the, the people are a mile wide, but they're only an inch deep. They, they, they come in for some really cool music and, and lights and they hear a relevant message, but never do they hear, thus saith the Lord. Never do they hear that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Never do they hear, thus says the Lord. Now it's, we're producing in these baby churches, baby Christians. There's no, back, there, there's no backing from the word of God. 
Now, as we say back home, this is a Tennessee statement. I want to teach some of you Floridians. All right, you ready? If, if, if we think that we're going to change the culture by, by that type of church, listen to me, that dog ain't going to hunt anymore. That dog needs to get retired and retired quick. You need to find, and your family needs to find, a church that teaches and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it's not always easy to come into a Bible-believing church. It's not easy to be told that what we're doing and how we're living life, that it's wrong. But however, we need to hear the message, and we also need to receive a message of hope. We, We share the truth, but we do it in love. I step on your toes, but I'm also patting you on the back, I hope. I want you to feel better when you're leaving here than what you did when you came in. However, while you're here, I want you to hear from the word of God. I don't want you to hear a message from me. I don't want to tell you how you can have uh, 10 ways to have a smile on your face on Monday morning. I, I, I want you to come in here because, listen, I can, give you, I can give you a leadership challenge message that will pep you up, get you excited, but listen, it won't change your life. Only the word of God, because you see the word of God is powerful. And as we're obedient to the word of God, he, he takes the word and he applies it to our life and applies it to our heart. And, 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 and we need, the world needs to hear a clear message of truth. And before they can hear it, we must heed it. Before they hear it, we must believe it. Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, be diligent. He said, present yourselves as approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. So there must be this uncompromising commitment and thirst for truth. Number one, where does the power come from? It comes from obedience to the word of God. Number two, the power comes from a relationship with the son of God. Verse three of Acts chapter one tells us, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them after 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You see, they spent time with Jesus. Jesus spent time with them. Do you realize that it is entirely possible and unfortunately entirely the norm for Christians and believers in Jesus Christ this day to be saved? You have your get out of hell, jail, get out of hell free card. However, you do not have a dynamic growing relationship with Jesus. It's entirely possible and unfortunately it has become the norm. Many Christians are, are okay with, okay, I'm saved. I prayed to ask Jesus into my heart. I'm saved. And, and, and now I just want to continue to live my life the way I want to live it. Don't tell me how to live my life. I, I, I'm going to do my life how I want to do it. I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. I want to give how I want to give. I want to, I want to donate the way I want to donate my time. It, just don't, tell, don't, don't walk on me. Don't step on my toes. It's entirely true. Of course that's right, isn't it? For those of us that are married, you realize that you can be married and have a very poor relationship with your spouse, right? Just because you're married doesn't mean that you have a great relationship with your spouse. Just because you're a Christian does not mean you have a great relationship with your God. We must have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Why is it that we, we don't pursue, we, that we don't often pursue in our culture today, in, in the church climate today, why is it that, that we know, we know this to be true, right? We know that as a Christian, we have to have a growing, vibrant 
relationship with Jesus, if I were to poll you and ask you, how is it that you have a growing relationship with Jesus, I believe that the majority of us would be able to give the answers. You need to be in scripture, you need to be in a church, you need to be in a small group, you need to be praying. We we know the answers because we've been in Sunday school, right? We, We know the answers on how to have a growing relationship with Jesus. If I were to ask you, how are you supposed to have a successful marriage, you'd be able to give me the pointers on on how you're supposed to have a successful marriage, but that doesn't mean necessarily that you know it here, doesn't mean it's been transplanted into the heart. Just because we know what it is that we're supposed to do doesn't mean that we always follow through and we do it. Why is that? Why is it that we often pursue other things instead of spending time in prayer and, and reading and scripture reading? Well, I think, first of all, it's because we're lazy. We're lazy. I also think it's because we, we think we're too busy. We don't have time. I, I'm running here, I'm running there, and we, we so compartmentalize our life. We, we've got our life so scheduled and so regimented that there's no time for relationship. Relationships require spontaneity. Men, remember when you were dating your wife? One of the things that your wife loved about you when you were dating her was the spontaneity, the, 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 the hey, let's go, let's go have dinner or, or, or let's, let's just do something outside of the plans that, that we had planned. And, and, and you see, that's relationship. It, it's, it's just because even though we don't have it planned, let, let's go do this. That's the exciting part of of growing in relationships, and we have become so compartmentalized. We've calendar our schedule so much that we have left no time for spontaneity for our relationship with Christ. I also think it's because we simply, we don't pursue the Lord as we should because we feel unworthy. There's no way that God's going to use me, so what's the point? There's no way I'm going to be Billy Graham. There's no way I'm going to be like Peter. There's no way uh, that, that, that God's going to use me the way he's used men and women in the past. So what's the point of even trying because of what I've done? The skeletons that are in my closet, they're what, what I've done because of our guilt. We have this guilty feeling. I want us to think about Peter for just a moment. Before this, before Acts chapter one, Peter... <laughs> Peter was a, a different kind of guy, and, and we still see this springing up as you read the book of Acts and the book of Galatians. You see that Peter, he changed somewhat, but he still had his personality issues. Jesus sat there at the Last Supper as they were celebrating communion, and he was teaching his disciples. He looked over at Peter and said, Peter, I know that you say you love me more than anyone else, but I'm here to tell you that you're going to deny me, not once, not twice, but you're going to deny me three times. Peter's face turned red. He got mad. He he banged his hands on the table. He said, there's no way I'm going to deny you, Jesus. If you're going to die, I'll go to die with you. That's passion. boy, Peter. But you know what it took? It took a little small girl to say, hey, aren't you one of those disciples of Jesus? Aren't you one of those Galileans? As, as Jesus was being led to the house of Caiaphas and, and right there in front of a fire, Peter was standing there warming himself and the little girl said, aren't you one of his disciples? And Peter began to curse. He said, no, 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 deny him three times. No, I'm not one of his Before you know it, Jesus is being led to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and and they hear the the sound that they've heard so many times before, the the agony and the pain of a nail going through a human hand and and nails going through human feet. And and they, 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 they put the cross up, and there they crucified Jesus. And where was Peter? Where were the other disciples? They ran away. They were cowards. 
They didn't stay there. Now, of course, you know that Jesus died. They took his body off. They put him in the tomb. Of course, Peter would have known that. They saw him die. What did Peter do? Peter seemingly threw his hands up and he said, I quit. I failed. I'm a miserable failure. I give up. And what did he do? Well, John chapter 21, if you look over, just flip a page from the book of Acts chapter 1, you find here in, in John chapter 21, Peter and a few other disciples, they decided to, to go back to their old profession of fishing, right? Peter, in Peter's mind, he probably thought, well, I, I couldn't be a good follower of Jesus. That was, you know, three years of seeing Jesus do a lot of miracles, but, but I really messed up. So I, I'm going to go back and start doing what I know how to do, what, what I was trained to do, what my, my, my father taught me to do, and my father's father did, and I'm going to be a fisherman. So, so he took a few of the disciples, they got on a boat. John chapter 21 says that they went out and they were fishing, and it says that they'd been fishing all night and they caught a big fat zero. That's the story of my life when it comes to fishing. I tell you, but, but they, they had a goose egg. They've been fishing all night and they hadn't caught anything. Think about Peter's morale right now. Not only did he mess up his, his profession with his friend Jesus, but now he can't even do fishing right. The one thing he should be able to do right, he can't even do that right. And then this voice comes over from the shore Hey, guys, throw your net on the other side of the boat. Seriously? <laughs> like that's going to make a difference, right? I mean, guys, we've been fishing all night, and, and this huckster over here on the side of the, the shore is telling us, is that a joke? I mean, these nets, they're, they're going under our boat anyway. There's no fish in there. Well, Peter, let's just, let's just try it. Let's see what happens. Well, we've already made a mess of everything else. Might as well try it. Takes the net, throws it over, and the Bible says that so many fish were caught in that net, they couldn't even bring it up into the boat. At that moment, they realized that there was no huckster on the shore, that that was Jesus Christ himself. Peter jumps in the water, he swims to shore, and when he meets Jesus there, what does Jesus do? An interesting uh, fact for, for Bible trivia is that there are only two instances of a charcoal fire mentioned in the Bible. One is at the denial of Jesus, when Peter denied Jesus. The other is right here in John chapter 21. So when Peter comes to the shore and, and he gets to the shore, what does he see? He sees a charcoal fire. Last time he saw a charcoal fire was when he denied Jesus three times. His mind immediately goes back to that time when he cursed that small child, that small girl, and said, you're, you're absolutely wrong. So Peter's probably thinking, okay, I'm going to get it now. Jesus sure is going to give it to me now. He told me so. Go ahead, Jesus, tell me. You told me so. Did Jesus mock him? No. Did Jesus ridicule him? No. What did Jesus do? He forgave him. He forgave him. Just as Peter denied him three times, he, Jesus forgave him three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Now, Peter had a choice. Jesus forgave him. Peter has a choice. He can choose, listen to me, don't miss this. He can choose to forgive himself, to receive the Lord's forgiveness and forgive himself, or he can sulk and he can sour and he can live in guilt over what he has done. He's made a huge blunder, right? This was no small mistake that he did. He cut a man's ear off. 
He denied Christ. The one who Jesus said was going to be the rock, he was no rock. He was mush. Am I going to receive the forgiveness of the Lord or, or am I going to sulk and to sour? Have you ever thought about this? What if Peter, what if Peter would have stayed on that boat that day? What if Peter, after he received the Lord's forgiveness, what if he had chosen not to follow Jesus to Jerusalem as he was told to do? What if Peter, and you know Satan was in his ear, right? You know Satan was in Peter's ear telling him, you big mess up. You messed up. Jesus told you he was going to do it. What makes you think that, that, that Jesus is really going to forgive you? What makes you think you're not going to mess up again, Peter? You know how I know that Satan was in Peter's ear saying those things? Because it's the same thing he says to us today. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's a liar. He's a snake. God can't use you. What would have happened if on the day of Pentecost, instead of preaching a sermon where 3,000 people were saved, what if Peter was still on that, the Sea of Galilee throwing that net over the side of the boat? What would have happened? Let me tell you, Peter would have missed the blessing of God. And he would have missed being a blessing of God to others. No doubt in my mind that if Peter would have chosen to stay on that boat, Pentecost would have still happened. It had to still happen. The prophet Joel prophesied this was going to happen, so we know it's going to happen. Pentecost is going to happen whether Peter is going to forgive himself or not, whether Peter's in the game or not. God, you see, God does not need us. We think we're high and mighty and we, God needs us. We're on God's team and he's got to have me to be able to do this. If, if this church didn't have my money or if this church didn't have me serving, listen, God does not need you. God chooses to use you. But if Peter would have chosen to stay on that boat, God would have simply raised somebody else up to go and speak and to preach that message. And that person would have received the blessing of God. That person would have been a blessing to others because of God. Now don't miss this. Why is it that I find so many Christians staying on their boat? Why is it that because of something that we have done in our past, because of some ineptness within us that we think, we, we buy into the lie of Satan that Jesus and God, they, they cannot use us. And so we're going to just stay here on the boat. We're not going to follow God and what he's told us to do. We're going to stay here on our boat because it's comfortable. Sidebar, it doesn't matter if we're catching fish or not. It doesn't matter if we're, if we're doing life well. We're, we're just going to stay on our boat. When you're staying on your boat, you're missing the blessing of God on your life. And you're missing being a blessing to others in their lives. Friend, it's time to get out of the boat and follow Jesus. It's time to embrace the forgiveness that he has given to us. Understand, yes, we're broken. Understand, yeah, he doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. How awesome is that? Our God, in all of his grace, in all of his mercy, in all of his love, in all of his power, chooses to use broken people like me. To be a blessing to others and to be blessed by him.
God's desire, friend, is to bless you. But the only way you've received the blessing of God is to be in his will. We have to follow after him. Get out of the boat and get on mission with Christ. Number three, and this is the final point, how to have power. Number one, obedience to the word. Number two, relationship with the son. Number three, surrender to the spirit of God. This is verse eight, Acts chapter one, verse eight. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. It's, it's not so much explosive power. You know, dynamite is, is one and done. Once, once dynamite explodes, it's done. Uh, the dunamis power that, that he said is promised to us, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit comes upon you. It's not just one and done. It's not just a one shot and, and you're done. No, this, this dunamis power is, is more, a better word instead of dynamite is dynamic. He gives you dynamic power. Now, this is a great assignment that the church has been given, right? This small group of believers, they were weak, they were confused, they were not well-trained, they were not educated, they were fishermen, they were tax collectors, they were common folk. They didn't understand how they fitted in to to the great uh, purpose that God had for them. They lacked spiritual power. But Jesus here gives them a great promise, again, that if you follow me, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And Christian, if you are weak today, if you are anemic, if you're defeated in your walk, it's because you've not plugged in through the power. If you are a Bible-believing Christian, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and the dynamic power of God is welling up inside of you. We're going to talk through this series about what it means to walk a Spirit-filled life. Just as you can walk in your, your have, 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 be saved and be promised to heaven and not have a relationship, a growing relationship with Jesus, it's entirely possible as well to, to have the Spirit in your life, but yet not live by the Spirit, not be surrendered to the Spirit. Suffice to say that, that the Spirit-filled life is the life that God has chosen and called all of us to be. We are to walk in the Spirit of God, but when we talk about the Spirit, so many people, so many people want to talk about the feeling of the Spirit and not the filling of the Spirit. The, the, the feeling, how, how do I feel? Jesus said, I, I, I'm giving you my spirit not so that you can feel good. Not so that you can feel something. People say, well, well, how do you feel? How does it make you feel? That's not Christianity at all. Jesus never promised that you would feel good. He didn't promise the spirit so you can feel good. He promised the spirit so that you can be filled Notice the subject of, you say, well, how am I to be a witness? I, I want to be a witness. What does that mean? Well, notice the subject. The subject's not about you. The subject's about him. You shall be witnesses unto who? Me. That means it's not about me. It's about him. The subject of what we're supposed to be talking about is Jesus. Notice the source of the witness. You shall receive power. The power of whom? The Holy Spirit. So you see the source is the Spirit of God. The source or the subject is Jesus. The, sco- uh, the, source, the subject is Jesus. The source is the Spirit. The scope. What is the scope of the witness? Well, it's everywhere. He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost. You say, I, I want to be a witness, so-, so where do I go? Well, you begin right here in your own backyard. Begin right here in your, in your own neighborhood. A.C. Dickerson once said, if we rely upon organizations, then we'll get what organizations can do. If we rely upon education, we will get what education can do. 
If we rely upon eloquence, we will get what eloquence can do. But if we rely upon the Holy Spirit, then we will get what God can do. And with this formal task that's in front of us, just as it was faced with the, the believers in the first century, listen, the culture of what Peter and, and Paul and, and James and John and Mary and Martha, the, the culture in the first century is not that much different than the culture we're facing today. Now, this is, it, it may be different sins, and they may be calling them different things, but still yet, the culture is the culture. It's a Babylonian culture. So, so don't think that, that, that what we're setting out to do is impossible because with God, all things are possible. It's not by might, not by power, but by spirit, says the Lord. You see, you possess the spirit of God if you're a Christian. But the question is, does he possess you? I want to close with this. If you're taking notes, you, I, I hope and pray that you'll write this down because this is what I want you to get. This is, this is the, the, the statement of the message. That This is the thesis statement. To witness is not what we do. It must be who we are. To witness is not what we do. It must be who we are. The word witness there in Acts chapter one, yes, witness can be a verb, but it cannot start with, it can't start with going. To witness is not what we do. He said, you shall be my witnesses. You see, everything is going to change when we begin to realize it's who we are. It goes back to what we said two weeks ago. It begins with a burden. It begins with us on our knees. It begins with us pouring out our heart and lives to Jesus because of the lostness that's around us. That's where it begins. And as we're crying out for this burden, witnessing is not what we do, it's who we are. And when we become his witnesses, he's given us the authority. He's given us the ability. He's given us the, the dunamis power, the, the dynamic power. Now it's up to us. Again, we go back, there's a crossroads. Do you believe or don't you believe that this is the word of God? Answer that. When you answer that, now the question is, am I going to do it? Or am I going to continue to stick my head in the sand and pretend like all this other stuff is just going to go away? What we need is the church, Christians, you and I, to stand up and to say enough is enough. To go into the world who they don't want to hear it. They want tolerance, but what they need is truth. And we share that truth, not, not hitting people over the head with the Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. Not offending people. The Bible is offensive. The gospel is offensive. It's offensive. The message that you're going to be sharing is offensive enough. You don't need to be the offense. Allow the word of God to be the offense. You share the message that Jesus is the only way to heaven and let the rest up to God. Leave the rest to him. Let the chips fall where they may. You go with a burden. You sow with a great passion. And then, and only then, will the Lord allow a reap, a harvest, unlike anything that we have ever seen. I see it, church. I see this city, this city that I love, the city that is beautiful. That's what Orlando means, the city beautiful. Filled with millions of people. What would happen? What would happen in this city Millions of people from around the world fly to Orlando to see a dumb little mouse. What would happen if these millions of people from around the world get on a plane to see this dumb little mouse and when they get here in Orlando, 
They see that dumb little mouse. But they also realize something is sweeping across this city. And it ain't. It's a small world. It's the power of the Holy Spirit through revival fire that is sweeping over the city. It begins with us. It begins with us.